Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. So my question to you is this. Here we are three weeks into the study. Are you any closer to a personal mission statement for yourself than you were when we began? Are you any closer to being able to say, here's why I'm here, here's the, here's the niche that God's placed on my life, here's the, here's the schematic that he's framed within me. And so based on that, here's where my life is going, or here's at least where I think it's going. Here's the perceptions that I have to this point. Um, I, hope you're, I hope you're inching closer as we go along. We, we looked in week one how every believer, every, every Christian has a call on their life. God is, if he has, when he has saved us, in fact, we looked at Romans 5 and Romans 8, those whom he knew, he predestined, those whom he predestined, he called those whom he called, he justified those whom he justified, he glorified, in essence saying that we are all, by nature of being called by him, by nature of knowing him personally uh, through uh, salvation experience, is that we, there's a call on our life. There's a, there's a, there's a framework for us that he's niched for us. So, do we know that? Do we recognize that? Do we realize the plan that he's made, the plans that he's made for us, uh, plans to give us a hope and a future, plans not to ha- harm us but to prop- prosper us? Do we realize that he's got a, a distinct purpose, a distinct design, a distinct destiny for us that we looked at last week? And here's probably one of the more challenging ones as I've had conversations with believers over the years. How do I know the will of God? How can I understand the will of God and be sure and be true to that will? First of all, see it. And then be true to live true to that will day after day after day. Well, we're going to look at four common things about the will of God and then maybe hopefully some specific things for each of us here in four different passages of Scripture, beginning, first of all, in John chapter 7. So if you turn to John chapter 7, we're going to go there to Ephesians, from there to 1 Thessalonians, from there to Romans. Seeing what he says about the nature of his will and how God's will for me is of paramount importance. If I'm going to walk in the center of his design, of his purpose, of his destiny for me, I've got to see and understand his will. Now, here's what we're going to see unfold here. His will is going to be divine, and his will is going to be specific. His will is going to be overarching, in essence, and his will is going to be very detailed. And so I hope, hope you'll see that as we, as we pass through these, these places of stop-off here today. Let's look at John chapter 7, verses 16 to 18. John chapter 7, 16 to 18. Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. And anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Those who speak on their own do so to gain glory for themselves, but he who seeks the glory for the one who sent him is a man of truth. There's nothing false about him. God's will for me, these verses speak to this, God's will for me will lead me to a place of discernment. His will will lead me to a place of discernment, lead me to a place where I can see truth from a lie what is real from what is not, what is counterfeit from that which is solid and true. Uh, he uses this phrase here in verse 16. He, chooses, he who chooses to, to do the will of God will find out. Find out what? Find out what is true from a lie. Find out what is real from what isn't. Find out what is counterfeit from that which is genuine. What's legit from what's fake. Now, we discover this in the process of our walk with him. As, as I shared with you back several weeks ago, and I think probably every week since, Step one is not more information and more education. Step one for the believer is obedience to what we already know. So we find out and we discover more discernment as we move, not as we 
analyze. And that's where the enemy steeps us aside and says, okay, <clears throat> you just stay over here until you get more information. When you get more information that ensures you can't fail at the will of God, that there is, there's, there's no sidesteps, there's no crossroads where you don't know where to go, there's no, there's no sense of anxiety, no fear, there's no, in, in essence, when life is perfect for you and you, you understand the perfect will of God, then you, you can move and understand it and see it and walk in it. Until then, you just stay right over here. And every believer has, I'm convinced every believer has been challenged with that truth, but many, and in fact most, stay right over here. Most of their spiritual existence. Why? Because we listen to the enemy, and what he's saying sounds good. I need more information from God. I don't need to get out there and open up my mouth and stick my foot in it and embarrass him to other people. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be an embarrassment to the kingdom. I need, I need more information. I need more maturity. I need to be discipled more. I need to understand the scripture more. <clears throat> I need to get some of the principles that I'm not getting. I, I don't have it together, and I need to get it together before I move on what I, what I already know. And Jesus is saying here, a person who chooses the will of God will find out, will discover, will exercise some discernment. They'll start to see things that they didn't see before. Why? Because they, they, they make a choice. They move on what they already know to be true. Um, here are, there, there, there's really two, I think, that I, probably a dozen, but two that I can think of here briefly today that are the benefits of more discernment in your faith. And they are this, they're obvious things. First of all, you make wiser choices. If you have greater discernment in your faith, you're going to make wiser choices. The second thing, and it's, and it's far obvious as well, is you'll have fewer regrets. Do you sit here today with regrets in your faith? Probably every one of us do. I, I wish, it, each of us probably sit here today with, with some sense of this. I wish I had known then what I know now. I wish I had seen at that time, years ago, decades ago, what I see now. All of us have regrets in our faith. The key, though, is not to allow the enemy to nail a stake down and say, this is who you are. That's who you, that, that, that old guy, the guy that you used to be, that's who you are. And we're nailing this down. That's who you will always be. You'll never rise above this. And we stay in the regret mode, and we never move into choosing to find the right things, choosing this area of discernment that he says. Um, he, and, he, and he cautions us here as in discernment about truth from a lie, what is real and what isn't. If, we're, if we were ever in a culture that needs to see truth from a lie, we're in it today. We're in a culture that needs to see what is true from what isn't, what is right from what is wrong. As the psalmist wrote, there'll be a day where right turns wrong and wrong turns right, and man will follow his own path. You and I are living in that day. And in fact, not only are we living in that day, the scripture says the generation that sees these things, you ready for the good news? The generation that sees these things will not pass away. Meaning, his coming is soon. We're seeing the scripture unfold and prophecy fulfilled right before our eyes as it pertains to the last days. And as I said, there is never an opportunity for greater, for a more stark contrast in truth from a lie than there is today. And I'm convinced every believer needs to understand the will of God to see, I need some discernment. I need to be able to figure out what is from what isn't, where to go from where not to. I need discernment. Now, we're going to see in just a minute the Holy Spirit provides that to a greater degree as we walk with him, as we begin to press into what we already know. But we need to see discernment from what, to see what is from what isn't, truth from a lie, and, and be cautious of anything that isn't. 
Uh, there, there should be discernment should bring, should bring about some caution in us. It should throw up some red flags in us from time to time as, as we're walking through life in, the, in the, paper, the people and the places in whom we put our trust. Is disappointment a part of life? Sure it is. But the greater discernment you and I have, the less disappointment we have. And the more we can see into the will of God in this moment and globally as well, the fewer regrets we have, the fewer mistakes we make. One great advantage of walking in the will of God is having a sense of greater discernment. And he promises that here in this passage in John. Now, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> and I want you to see some exciting stuff here um, in this passage. Verses 15 to 17 of Ephesians 5. It says this, Be careful, very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not be foolish, he says, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Um, do, not be, do not live as wise, as, uh, 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 not as unwise, but as wise. And, and I love this first phrase of chapter 16, making the most of every opportunity. That's what God's will does for me. It helps me see and seize the opportunity. See it and move on it. God's will gives me wisdom in doing those very things. Ever feel like you're a day late and a dollar short? <laughs> I felt like that a lot in life. Where either you're, you're playing catch up to what God's doing all the time. Or, in my case, you're always out in front of it. You're ahead of him. You're thinking, come on, God. Where What's the next thing? I, what's, I've already, we've been there, done that. What's, what's the next thing? What's the next? And I'm already out ahead of him. He's saying, whoa, wait, pal. You're looking through a finite eternal lens where you think you're going to be here for about 80, 80 years or so. And that's the end for you. I'm looking through an infinite lens. I'm looking, my, my lens is infinite. And the timing with which I move in you and around you is up to me, not up to you. You need to get with my calendar and not your own. That's been a great uh, failure of mine over the years, if, uh, probably among many. But a great failure of mine over the years is getting out ahead of him and then expecting him to bless it. Getting out ahead of him, where, where are you at, God? What's, what's up? I'm here waiting on you. Let's, let's go. Let's move. Let's... No, son, come back here with me. We're moving at my pace, not yours. You're not ready for that. And in fact, if I laid that open for you to where you can see it, you'd run back to me as fast as you could. You're not ready for what's out there. You wait and move at my pace. See and season the opportunity. Sometimes we feel like we're ahead of him. Sometimes we feel like we're behind him. Um, that's, that's, here's, the, here's the reality of this verse. Pursuing his will will enable me to see and seize what's best for me. That's really what you want to know. What is best for me? What's the situation where I know, I know when we looked at last week, Romans eight twenty eight says that, that all things work together for the good of those who are called according to God's purpose. If I'm called according to your purpose, if I belong to you, if I'm connected to you in a relationship, I know you know what's best for me. How do I see that? How do I seize that? How do I, how do I recognize it and move on it? It's, it's living with a sense of opportunistic faith. Um, you ever known people that just fall backwards into money? I mean, everything they do just makes money. They, do, they try this, they're entrepreneurial over here, they're giving this, and, and it just, you think, what, what in the world? And, and so, what, what that is a result of oftentimes is seeing and seizing an opportunity, whether it's entrepreneurial or whether it's just being blessed of God. 
of our own efforts or of him. But they see and seize an opportunity that's ahead of them, and they have no fear of stepping into it. Why? Because there are things worse than failure. And not trying is worse than failure in most of those folks' minds. And that's what I think he's trying to get us to see here in this verse to say, listen, make the most of every opportunity that's in front of you. Why? Because it's only once, it may be come around only once. That opportunity may be there today and gone tomorrow. If we don't see it and we don't seize it, we'll miss it. Why is this so important? Well, turn back to a few pages to Ephesians chapter 1. And I want you to see uh, the latter part of verse 8 here and through verse 10. Uh, of Ephesians 1, he says this, uh, latter part of verse 8, he says, With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us, watch this, the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect, and here we go again, when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. When the times reach their fulfillment, what is he saying? Timing is everything. Timing is everything. To move ahead of or behind the will of God for your life can be catastrophic, not only in your life, but in someone else's. To jump ahead of him, and I've learned lessons that, that way the hard way, or to constantly being drugged by him. Come on, let's go. I'm waiting on you. We need to move on this. There's an opportunity, there's a relationship that you're not seizing. There's a window here where this person that you have a relationship, there's a window where their heart is ripe. And the enemy is about to creep in. Go through the open window. There's a season here where this person's faith is going to be, uh, 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 they're coming to know me, he's going to be opportunistic. And so he's saying here, timing is everything. Seize that opportunity, seize that day. Scripture, really all throughout Genesis to Revelation, gives us a clear picture that we serve a God of detail. We serve, a, we serve a God of order. We serve a God of intentionality. We serve a God who is up to, up to the minutia of our life and is interested in every fabric of it. You think he's not going to bring an opportunity and open a window and open a door for you to see and then have you just kind of step back and say, huh, what do you think about that? No. He opens those doors of opportunity for us to say, yes, I'll step through. I don't know what's on the other side, but if I believe, if, I, if I'm praying for your will and I'm trying to understand and see that and I'm trying to have some discernment in all this and you open a door, I need to step. If I've been seeking discernment, discernment and opportunity and you open the door, then I need to step into that opportunity regardless whether I see the outcome or not. And in fact, regardless of whether it even looks safe for me or not. Because if you've opened it, if I've been looking for it and you've opened it, I need to walk through it. I need to seize it. Well, God's will not only will help me see a place of discernment and help me see, see and seize the opportunity. Thirdly, it will enable me to live above the circumstances. It will enable me to live above the circumstances. Second Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter 5 speaks to this truth and it speaks to it rather briefly and succinctly, but yet very much in your face. First Thessalonians five sixteen says this: Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. For watch this: this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What's God's will for you? Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in every circumstance. Always, continually, in every circumstance. You know what he means by that? Always, continually, and in every circumstance. That's exactly what he means. Um, how in the world can we do that? Well, we can rejoice because, and we're, we're, we're regurgitating these last few weeks here, we can rejoice because we have a God, we, we serve a God and know a God who always has a plan. If he is always up to something, then we can rejoice in the middle, regardless of whether the circumstance looks good or not, regardless of whether my day is rejoice-worthy, uh, 
like I shared with you a few moments ago, I don't know when I've ever been more discouraged and disappointed than Friday. But I also, I also started to rejoice on Friday because of the very thought that I shared with you again to say, Ooh, I think you're coming is sooner than I thought. And this is pretty cool stuff because we're living in days where it could be imminent. And, 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 the, and the, the, the domino pieces are falling and they're falling. And, and so I began to, to move from sadness to, 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 to some excitement, to zeal, to a sense of urgency that people around me and in my world know this to be true. We're living in the last days. And if that's true, then how far of greater importance is that people around us know Christ? Seeing and seizing that opportunity and, and living above the circumstances so that I can rejoice even in the middle of a Even in the middle of a situation where you think there's no hope, there's hope. Why? Because he's directly in the middle of that. He's not left it. He's not left us. He's not abandoned us. He's not said, okay, good luck for you. <laughs> Hope that all works out for you down there. And do the best you can with the sir. No, we can rejoice because we know who's in charge. We know that we know that there are judges who will stand in front of a judge one of these days. And we know the truth of that of that reality is coming as I said, sooner than we think. And we know that we will stand in front of a Savior one day who's, who says to us, you know what? Uh, that situation where it wasn't very good, but your response to it wasn't very good either. You know how you need to respond? You need to respond to truth by sharing truth. You need to respond to a harsh situation by love. You need to respond to a situation where you were put off and you were, you, you were put upon by saying, listen, God's in all of this and he's bigger than all of this. Always has, always will be. So, if we live above those kinds of circumstances, we can start to see, okay, if God's got a plan for all this, and he does, even for, for the hard times, the good times, the things we don't understand, don't get. If he's got a plan and designed all this, if there's a, if there's a, a divine timeline in place, and there is, if there's a divine timeline in place, and if that divine timeline, is, if I'm seeing it unfold in front of my eyes, then I can rejoice in the fact that he's got this. He's holding this in his hand. He's holding this situation in his hand. He's holding his return in his hand. I can rejoice because of that. So I can, I can live above the circumstances and rejoice. I can also live above the circumstances in prayer. First of all, because I desperately need it. I, and I desperately need to be close to him. Pray because God is always in process with me. I pray continually. What does that mean? Does that mean we have to, you know, we're, we're on our knees in the morning, on our knees in the afternoon, on our knees in the evening, on our knees facing Mecca. Our, what does that mean? It means to be in a spirit and attitude of prayer so that, watch this, there is zero transition from your regular life to your prayer life. There's no transition there. There is, your prayer becomes conversational. If you have to, if you have to, to, to gather yourself to think that, okay, what are the eight to ten holy words that I know that I can pray right now so that God can, okay, Heavenly Father, Thou art and there's nothing wrong with any of that. Praying the scripture, praying, praying the Lord's Prayer, I encourage you to do that. Nothing wrong with any of that. Uh, uh, please don't hear that to be a detriment. But what gets God's attention in ours and sees his activity in our lives and in our prayers and ours is this zero transition in prayer to where we are, we are in a spirit of saying, and our prayer sometimes may look like, Lord, <laughs> what in the world? And that's it. And it may look like sometimes, God, I don't know what I'm about to walk into here in this situation, but will you help me? I've got to have you help here. And that may be all the prayer we have in that moment. And, and, and as we are in a spirit of prayer where we, we can conversationally transition from a conversation with, with Michael to a conversation with Jesus, was zero transition. That's what he's talking about here in being a continual 
prayer, being in a, in a, in a state, in, a, in, a, in an attitude, in a mind, in a spirit of continual prayer to where there's no transition. We don't have to stop to pray. We pray on the way. We pray as we go. You ever prayed for people on the street? I prayed for people driving. Don't you? Coming up to the intersection, whoa, <laughs> get behind the wheel of that, Lord, because that's, that's about to be disaster someplace. And sometimes my own driving I pray for. But, but you know, we're, there, there's, there's, he's talking about here about being in a, in a continual state of conversational prayer to where our thoughts about him are voiced to him. And it's not in religious language. It's in whatever language we know to say, God, help me make sense of this. I don't get it. That's, that's how we can live above circumstances because we are in a, we are in a spirit where, there's, where we are continually calling out to a God who knows everything and is in everything, and we're not, and we don't. But we can connect with that God on a, on a consistent basis by way of continual conversational lifestyle prayer. Exactly what he's talking about. So, so don't, don't allow prayer to intimidate you. We can live above the circumstance because of it. But thirdly, and here's the harder one, is to give thanks in every circumstance. To give thanks in every circumstance. Why? Because God has a purpose. God has a design to everything. When I know that to be true, my circumstances no longer define me, nor do they intimidate me. God's got a design, and His design, we looked at last week, His design is always for my good and His glory. Three weeks ago, we saw how God's plans for us are always to bring Him glory. Last week, we looked at God's purpose for us is always to bring our good. If we, if we know that to be true, and that's a promise of Scripture, then whatever the circumstances are, we know God's up to something for our good. Now, did he bring that directly into our lives? Not always. But can he use it for our good? Always. Every time. Why? Because the Scripture promises he is always about our good. He is always up to our good, regardless of whether the circumstances in our world at the time say so or not. Looking from the outside in, there's nothing good about cancer. Looking from the outside in, there's nothing morally and spiritually good about a Supreme Court's decision on Friday. Looking from the outside in, there's nothing good about the moral decay in our culture. Looking from the outside in, as we look at the circumstances of our life, how how can we come up with anything good from that? Yet, he is in the middle of all of that and can bring about good for us and through us into the lives of others because of it. If I understand that, it's far easier for me to live a, a life where I can give thanks in every circumstance. Why? Because even in the midst of something I don't understand, something that's hard, something that's physically demanding, a divorce, a relationship that's broken, a lost job, even in the midst of circumstances that doesn't work, in a world that doesn't work, I can give thanks to God and say, God, thank you because somehow, some way, this is going to be for my good. Now, I don't see it today. And honestly, if I'm praying honestly to you today, I'm kind of halfway ticked off. Because I don't see it, and I don't understand it, and I don't get it. But I know what your word says. And your word says, this is for my good. In fact, everything that comes into my life works my way for my good. Why? You promised it. And I'm going to give you thanks that even in the midst of something that stinks right now, good can come of it in my life and from my life to someone else's. Why? Because you're God. And that's that's exactly how you work. You take the dregs of life and make something incredible. From failure, you take the, the things that, that stink and don't work and, and make something glorious out of that. Only God can do those kinds of things. And if we see that, and if he's developed a pattern in us, if we've had enough mileage with him and enough bad circumstances with him and enough failure with him and enough loss with him and enough hurt, if we've seen God make something good of those things in our life, it's far easier to say, listen, I'm giving thanks for this. I'm giving thanks that this is an opportunity. 
an opportunity to reach someone that was unreachable, an opportunity for you to, be, you to be seen out of my life that otherwise couldn't have happened before. That's why I say, I think on the, on the heels of uh, some incredibly uh, dark days in our culture, we face the greatest opportunity we've ever faced. Why? Because we live in the generation I think is going to see his return. And knowing that ought to turn the screws up. Knowing that ought to turn the intensity up. It should turn, our, it should turn the, the value of our faith to a higher degree to a hotter degree. Our circumstances don't define us. This is really simple truth. Do you want to know God's will for you? Start doing these, start doing these three things. Start doing these three things. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in every circumstance. If we can start with those three things, those are basic and they're hard. <laughs> Nothing easy about any of those three. But we can start with those three things. Here's what I'm going to promise you. You're going to start, and these are, these are general things, but they're going to be lived out in specific ways in your life that are unique to you. But if we start with these three things, rejoicing always, praying continually, and giving thanks in every circumstance, I'm going to tell you what you're going to find. I promise you this. The details, the specific will of God for your life is going to start to become clearer when you start to do those things. This is, he says, God's will for you in Christ Jesus, verse 17. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What? That you walk in these three things. Because when you start to walk in these three things, in the truth of these three truths, these three principles, I'm going to start to reveal some for you some specifics and start to fill in some gaps that you thought you'd never understand before. I'm going to start to give you some things specifically about my will for you personally that you've never seen before. Why? Because you've been obedient to these three things. And you're going to see more as you move more and you find yourself in a place of obedience. That's powerful truth. Do you get this? This is powerful truth. If you want to understand the will of God, here's the formula. There's very few times in Scripture where you say, where Scripture says, okay, you do these three things, and God's will is going to start to become clear to you. And here's exactly what he's saying here in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. You do these three things, you're going, to, you're going to see the will of God for you. You're going to recognize the will of God for you. You want to know that? Walk in these three ways. Put these three principles into your spiritual walk. And it's going to make sense for you. You're going to see it. God's will for me will lead me to a place of discernment. It'll help me see and seize the opportunity. It'll enable me to live above the circumstances. Fourthly, this is cool. Turn back to Romans chapter 12. Fourthly, God's will for me will allow me to experience real transformation. His will will allow me to experience real transformation. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your proper worship as rational beings. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Transformational living is this. It's choosing to believe these three things, among others, but these three things. Transformational living is choosing, making a choice, a conscious mental choice, to believe these three things. One, to believe the truth over a lie. That's what he speaks to. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that you can see, as we looked at, talked about discernment earlier, we can see truth from a lie. We can recognize it. We can smell it coming. We recognize what is from what isn't, what's true from what's not, what's false from what's, what's truth. And we see those things coming before they ever get our way. Consequently, we're not thrown by them. We're not affected by them to, to any great degree. Why? Because we've been prepared to see that transformational living 
recognizes those things and sees them coming. Secondly, transformational living is choosing to believe the Scripture over the circumstance. Now that gets a little harder. To believe the Scripture over the circumstance. What does the Scripture say? The Scripture says that everything in my life, all things, not a few, not things at church, not things in my quiet time, every circumstance, everything, every, every part of life works together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Wow, really? Yeah, that's what the Scripture says. So if that's the case, this circumstance is going to be ultimately for my good. I see that. I recognize it. Why? Because I got a little mileage, as I said earlier, in that direction, and because the Scripture promises that to be true every time. I'm going to see truth over a lie. I'm going to trust the Scripture over the circumstance. The Scripture is always bigger than the circumstance. I'm going to tell you the Scripture is always bigger than the enemy because the enemy will tell you your circumstance has whipped you. You'll never rise above it. You'll never move beyond it. That's the message that the enemy wants to tell us day after day. This is who you are, and this is all you will ever be. And the Scripture is far greater than the enemy, and Scripture is far greater than the circumstance. If you want to correct the circumstance, make sense of it, if you want to push the enemy back and keep him at bay, attack him with the Scripture and attack the circumstance with God's Word. It's always more powerful than those things. So, it's, it's choosing to believe the truth over lies, choosing to see the Scripture over the circumstance, and choosing to believe the Holy Spirit over the enemy. To recognize the Spirit's presence in our heart, the Spirit, He comes in to abide at salvation, and is there to guide, is there to direct, is there to lead, is there to coerce, is there to prod, is there to, to give wisdom, is there to help us see God's will. That's, his design for us is not, as I've said earlier so many times, he, he has no carrots dangling out here. That If we memorize three more verses, if we're in church four more weeks, if we're part of this class, if we read this book, that's not, not how he works. It's never been how he works. There's no carrot out there. There's no, there's no achievement level to where we can, we can see what God's up to once we achieve. That's not how he works. The Holy Spirit is there to guide, it's there to direct, it's there to inform, it's there to reveal. And he wants those things for us all the time. What, what, what's, what stands in the way of seeing that and, 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 and fantasizing about it? Obedience. Moving, as I said, on what we already know. Not waiting for more information. And waiting to sit back and analyze, okay, does God's way look better than my way or not? Is it safer than my way or not? Is it more predictable than my way or not? Is it more profitable than my way or not? We sit back and analyze, we'll never move. And the enemy wins. He wins in analysis all the time. So, how do I do these three things? How do I how do I see truth over a lie? How do I see the scripture over circumstance and the Holy Spirit over the enemy? We do that, but what he says here in verse two, test. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Test and approve those things. Put them to the test. You ever test driven a car? Um, when I test drive a car, you know, I'm not test driven many cars in my life, but half a dozen, I guess. Mm, probably more than that. When I test drive a car, I want to test drive a car. I'm going to put the gas down. I mean, I want to see whether it's a brand new car and it's still got the sticker on it and it still smells clean. I want to see if it's going to do, you know, if I'm heading out the interstate and there's a 18-wheeler bearing down on my tail end, I want to see, can I get out of its way? Am I... And I, so when I test drive a car, most people test drive a car, they're real nice. You know, it's not my car. I mean, it's, it's, it's your car, and you're allowing me to drive it. So I'm going to drive it off a lot, nice and smooth. Use my turn signal. Ten and two, I'm going to turn, you know, the corner, and I'm going to go down to the stop sign. I'm going to look both ways. I'm gonna, I'm, you're driving like you're on a driver's test. 
when I test drive a car, I want to see what it's going to do. Not that I'm, you know, Mario Andretti or something, but I want to see if I'm in trouble and I'm counting on this car to get me out of it, will it do it? Will it, you know, if I'm going 60 miles an hour and I swerve the other lane to miss some, some pothole in the road or some kid, or what, is it going to throw me out in the median? What's, what's going to ha- I want to find out what the car is going to do. That's what he's saying here. Test drive it. Put these things to the test and figure out, do they work? Is God honoring this step? Is he honoring this move? Or am I just out here on my own? Is he, is he supporting and, and coming behind and coming underneath to undergird the very thing that I put, that put, that put the test about him that he's, I believe this is an opportunity. I believe this is a door open. I'm walking through it. Is he reinforcing it? Is he coming alongside of it or is he not? Test drive it. See what we know. Um, why? Because, again, to go back to this, step one is, not, is never more knowledge. Step one is always more obedience. We saw that with Samuel uh, in, in, in week one when we talked about the call of God on our life. Samuel knew nothing. I mean, he was greenhorn. He was a kid. And he hears God's voice three times in the night, and he goes to Eli. What's going on, Eli? And Eli finally gets it and says, just, just say, speak, Lord, your servant's listening. Speak, Lord, your servant's listening. Speak, Lord, your servant's listening. Speak, Lord. You can see him walking back to him. Speak, Lord. And he lays down again, and he hears the voice again. And he says, speak, Lord, your servant's listening. You know what happens? The Lord speaks because the servant was listening. There's, there's this idea of, of if I allow God to do what he wants to do, he'll lay out the plan for me, and that's exactly what happens with Samuel. Speak, Lord, your servant's listening. Samuel probably wishes that he hadn't, spoken, he hadn't said that because what the Lord lays out, Samuel, I'm going to make you a great, a great messenger to the nation of Israel. You're going to be a great prophet, and you're going to, you're going to, you're going to have to reveal some hard truth too. First, the first thing you're going to have to reveal is some hard truth to Eli and his family about sin that's been in their family, and and and, and how I'm going to deal with that. And I want you to go back and tell him that. And so, it gets harder as 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 we step into God's truth sometimes. But do you not want to know that? Do you not want to see His will, whether it's hard or whether it's easy? Do you not want to experience if God indeed has something better for me and deeper than me that I've known? Why in the world would I not want to experience that? At least test it and approve what the will of God is. Put it to the test and say, yeah, God's blessing this. As we looked at in the first week, the things that follow the call of God is fruit and fulfillment. He blesses me with fruit for my labor for him and fulfillment in my heart for him. That's exactly how he works. And so if I don't test those things, I'll never see him. I'll never understand the, the, the fruit that's there, and I'll never see the fulfillment that he's always designed for me to have. Well, um, transformation living is what our culture needs. It's what every believer needs. It's what every church needs. We need transformation living. How do we get there? We put these things into place, put these things into practice, living what we already know. Um, it's your will that God's, or, that your, or it's God's will that your life touch other people. We're, none of us are an island unto ourselves. And I'm going to tell you, I don't know what God's specific will is for you. Um, I can give you some tools, as I say, through GAP to help you discover that for yourself and allow the spirits to use those things. But that's between you and God. But I can tell you this. I can tell you this of every person in this room. God's will for you will always touch somebody else's life. It's never about just you. It's never about just your little world. It's never about your own little perceptions of God and your worship and your own little private prayer life. and your, your little. It's never about just you. And it's never usually about just your family. It's about other folks. God has us in a world to touch and rub against other people. Why? So that they can see him. Not, not, not so that they, they absorb you know, through, through some magical osmosis the, the God that's in you. No, that happens as we, as we talk about him. 
That happens as we pray to him. That happens as we build relationships with other people that don't know him. That happens as we become more intentional with our faith and more intentional with our lives. It's his will that our lives touch other people's lives. That's true of every one of us. Now, specifically, what does that look like? Start to put some things to the test and see if God starts to honor it. If you start to see blessing, if you start to see fruit, if you start to experience fulfillment, test it. Put it out there. Live the things that you know. So that brings us to this conclusion today of this. These things that we've looked at today, these things are God's will for every Christian. They're they're God's will for every believer, for every Christ follower. We know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. The, The question that comes from that is, as I've said earlier, am I moving on what I already know? You think, man, I don't know enough scripture. Do you know John 3.16? You know enough to move. If you know John 3.16, you know enough to change someone else's life, someone else's eternity. If we're living John 3.16, we'll be hungry for more. When we go hungry for more, we'll start living more, putting to the test those things more and more and more to a greater degree. Why? Because we see the fruit that comes from it. And where does the fruit come from? Where does the fruit comes from? It comes from living the things we know and seeing God honor that and bless that. And it may be small. It may start small. But am I living what I already know? I know these things are true of every believer. I know these are these things are God's will for every believer. That that, that every believer in the center of God's will is that we have greater discernment. That every believer in the center of God's will that sees and seizes opportunity. That every believer living in the center of God's will can and does live above their circumstance. That every believer in the center of God's will sees transformation occur in their life on a consistent basis. And they're not shocked when it happens because they went looking for it. They lived intentionally because of it. So if we're living these things, God's will specifically is going to come in greater focus for us. And that's going to that's stoke you. I'm going to tell you, there, I've been, a, <clears throat> I've been at this a while, and I'm not perfect at it. In fact, in fact, I'm not very good at it, period. But I've been at this a while. I've been looking for and, and for the most part of my adult life, living in the will of God, most of my adult life. You know what I've discovered? I don't know half of it. I'm still getting it. I'm still seeing it unfold. I'm still seeing God do this and open this door and open this relationship. And I've been at this a while, and I know what God's called me to do, and I'm obedient to it. But you know what I'm discovering? Is he's still revealing. He's still, as I, as I take a step here, he's still opening doors. He's still saying, here's what this is about. Here's what that conversation was about. And I'm still in the process of discovery. And I'm going to tell you, it's cool stuff to see the God of the universe intricately involved in your life. Cares about you to the extent that he's involved in the details. Every little, every little synapsis is firing in your brain. He's involved in everything, every, every aspect of your life, and always has been, always will be. So these things are God's will for every Christian. Here's, what, here's the more pivotal truth I want you to leave with, though, and that's this. As I put these things into practice... As I put them into practice, I'm going to discover God's specific will for me. As I put these general things into practice, and I know these to be his will, as I start living these things out, I'm going to, to a greater degree, discover his specific will for me. In essence, the more I move, the more I see. The more I move, the more I see. The more I act on what I already know, the more he reveals, the more he gives me, the more sense it starts to make of this is what that was about. This is what that was about. And we start to see a picture come into clear focus. Why? Because we've already moved on the small thing that we already know. I'm already obedient to that. And there is, there is more that comes after that. As, as I'm obedient to that, there's more that comes after that. And here's how God works. And, and, and we start to see this process of, ah, I've been missing that for the last 30 years. I don't wait. I move and he blesses. I move and he reveals. I move and, yeah, 
That's, how he's, that's what he did with everybody all the, way through, all the way through Scripture. Moses, Samuel, Abraham. That's what he did all the way through Scripture. You move. I'm going to tell you what you need to do. And then you do it. And when you do it, you're going to start to see my hand unfold. But until you do something with what I've told you to do, why would, I, why would you expect me to do anything else for you? I've already told you, go, do this. You're going to be the father of a great nation. I'm going to, re- I'm going to deliver the whole children of Israel out of you and your stick. Stick? Yeah. Go. Get with it. What are you waiting on? I can't do that. I know. Go. I didn't pick you because you could. I picked you because I could. Go. When we start to do those kind of things, God starts to show up. And, we, and you think, this is a simple concept. Honors obedience. He doesn't honor knowledge. He honors obedience. And in the obedience, gives us more knowledge. But he gives it through the process of obedience and trusting him and moving on those things. Is that hard? <clears throat> yep, it is. And, and sometimes harder, depending on our circumstance, than normal. But God will always honor it. He will honor it with more of himself. Is that what you want? You want more of himself. Do you want more of him? Do you want more of his will for you? Move on what you already know. Next week, actually <clears throat> these last couple of weeks, is we're going to look at discerning the precepts of God, the ways of God. How does he consistently work in every person's life? What are some consistencies in the ways he speaks, in the ways he works, in, in how the Holy Spirit works, and how, how to recognize the Spirit's voice? The precepts of God, the ways of God, every believer needs to know that. Why? Because the more we understand the nature of God, the easier it is to walk in it. If we don't understand the nature of God, we can never walk in it. And then finally, the last week is going to be... <clears throat> I'm more excited about it than any other, especially now. How to live a bold and compassionate faith at the same time. Is that possible? Can we be compassionate? Can we be loving? Can we be caring and bold and and tenacious with our faith at the same time? Is that supposed to be offensive and off-putting? No. But sometimes truth is offensive and off-putting. So how do we... I'm not going to lay it out for you. It's going to be good stuff, and I hope you're hope you'll just anticipate being here for that as well. If you if you think, well, you know, I think God's up to something, I've missed a couple of weeks. Go go, download the sermons online and and, and check and see. Listen, if, if God does have a call on my life, and I believe that, that's what Scripture says, or Scripture says it whether I believe it or not, it's true. If God's got a call on my life, if He's got a distinct plan for me, and that plan moves into some specific purpose for my life. And now his purpose is dovetailing, as I always dovetailed, with his will for me. God's, God's up to something. And we need to see what God is up to and walk in it and be hungry for it. I hope you'll do that as we go along. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.